Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Sarah Sivian. Sarah, what's going on? Not much. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited. It's uh, it's approaching mid-September. Um, you know, training camps are starting. Uh, preseason's going to start soon. Uh, there's uh, hockey's on the horizon. That shape of his life season's right around the corner. It is. Do you think... Uh, I mean, generally, it's it's a farce when when we hear that. But I feel like if uh, if like Alex Ovechkin comes in and he says it with a straight face, then I feel like we're really <laughs> gonna have to recalibrate our expectations for it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Um, yeah, uh, we've we've seen the videos. I mean, he was doing those push-ups in the fountain, so I mean, I guess he was getting a bit of physical exercise. And lifting the cup all summer must have been a must have been a good workout for his biceps. That's true. No days off. Now he has a kid too. So a lot going on for him. Yeah. A lot of early mornings. Um, okay. So we are, uh, actually, no, introduce yourself a little bit. Tell everyone what you do. I know, uh, whenever I have people on and I get right into the podcast, sometimes they get irritated because they don't know, they might not be familiar with the guests or their work. So, um, kind of tee it up for a bit. What, what, what are you doing this summer? Uh, what are you doing this season? Sorry, I should say. It's okay. Tell the class one fun fact. About yes. Myself. Yes. Introduce yourself. Well, I'm Sarah. I'm from Boston. I am a Bruins reporter for WEI, which is a radio station in Boston, but I do the dot-com side of it. So I, it's basically like I'm on a website. Um, that's pretty much it right now, getting geared up for the season. I thought we were, uh, I thought we were talking Celtics today. Oh, yeah. Well, they do call me Civvy Buckets because mm-hmm. since I work for the dot-com side, I dabble I dabble in Celtics, usually playoffs when or if the Bruins end early. I will dabble in the Celtics coverage, but I don't really know what I'm talking about. Mm. Well, let's... We're uh, guy here. Yes, that's right. Well, let's, uh, let's get into the Bruins then. Um, yeah, I feel like uh, last year I didn't really talk about them much on this podcast and, and, and not didn't necessarily snuck up on us, but I was looking back at their numbers and, you know, the fact that they went like, what, they were like 44, 13 and 8 in their final 65 games of the regular season. Yeah. They were just dominating teams and um, it felt like the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Tampa Bay Lightning were getting most of the headlines out of that division and, and you know, rightfully so. But now heading into this year, um, 
kind of trying to figure out how the top of that Atlantic division is going to shake out and where the Bruins are going to fit into the you know, top, the top of that Eastern Conference hierarchy is going to be one of the more interesting exercises as we kind of get ready for the season. Yeah, that was wild. Um, at one point, they were on an 18-game point streak, uh, first one since 1969. And it was just so many players were injured, too, and everybody was just kind of like scraping wins together through their broken limbs and stuff. And it was, it was wild to see the depth there. And it actually gave you a glimpse into thinking they could go pretty far. And I mean, nobody had them making the second round, the beginning of the season. So it kind of felt like a d- disappointment at the end. Cause you felt like they were capable of more, but I think that might be a preview for this season. But now with all the depth, other teams in the division have, I, I really don't know. Well, it seems like people are pretty optimistic on the Bruins. Like I've I've looked at some of the uh, the projection models people have put out, and I know Vegas had them as one of I think only five or six teams, you know, with their over under set at over a hundred points. And yeah. I should say that Tampa Bay and Toronto were both ahead of them, but I mean, one hundred and two point five is is what their line is, I believe, and that's pretty optimistic. I mean, I, I guess last year they they finished with like one hundred and twelve points, so. Vegas is baking in a bit of regression, but at the same time, it seems like people are generally believers that that team that we saw in the final 65 games is a better representation of what they are than kind of how they look towards the end of the, towards the end of that series against Tampa Bay and how they looked at the start of the regular season. Yeah. Yeah. I pretty much agree with that. I think there's so much youth on the team and I think that they got some playoff experience under their belt that they didn't have before. And they're, coming back a little stronger, a little older. And it's just so what if kind of, I think the Maple Leafs know what they're getting in Tavares, the lightning know what they're getting in general. And it could go. I think the Bruins are going to be really good, but I also think there's a lot of prospects with like high upsides, but also you never know like Donato. I think he's going to have a great season. Honestly, he came back. He looks stronger he looks really good um but then there's questions at third line center and basically the bottom two lines in general and second line right wing there's just a lot of questions but it will really show if bruce cassidy is as good as he's hyped up to be and i think he is yeah yeah he's got a he's got a bit of a work ahead of him i mean it's it's tough balancing those two visuals in your head right because obviously they looked so good for so long but then the most recent one we have in our head is, and it might be an unfair one to them just because Tampa Bay is so good and, and the Bruins themselves were really worn down with injuries towards the end of that series. But that lasting image you have of them is just Tampa Bay kind of skating laps around them and them being unable to really get any traction and really get out of their own zone with possession of the puck. And it's like, now you look at how high some of these models are on them and it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's just tough balancing those two things at the same time. Yeah, especially when you think, I don't know, I think the loss of Riley Nash at uh, third line center is way bigger of a deal than people are making it. And it's it's going to be a really tough decision to see who gets that spot. I think that's a huge question there that could make or break a team when it's facing a team like Tampa Bay in the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like you need that depth when all the, the, best players are worn down and I mean that showed through the playoffs too and that's why I think the Bruins might uh, move Pasternak down to the second line because when the first line was dominating they won it was crazy it was like in the 
they'd have 20 points and the Bruins would win. But then when they were completely off the board, the Bruins would not win at all. I think that was most evident in round one with Toronto. It just, if they didn't score, they lost the game. And that just shows like that was basically their whole team. Well, where are you at with that? I mean, if you were, if you were putting yourself in Bruce Cassidy's shoes um, and you were setting the lineup, would you go with a more balanced approach and maybe split those guys up or not necessarily go with three guys, with Marshawn Bergeron and Pasternak on their own lines, but maybe pair two of them together? Or would you load them up? Because I'm generally, I think people listening to the show know that I'm generally an advocate of going for more of a depth approach, especially in the regular season. Um, but at the same time, with those three, they're so particularly dominant. I believe last year they were like controlling, I don't know, north of 4, 58% of the shots and 60% of the goals. And it's just all these figures that are so astronomically laughably high that maybe at some point it's like you know what just don't mess with a good thing just keep those guys together and hope that some of those younger players and David Krejci and so on and so forth can they don't even have to you know do do well necessarily they just need to not get completely uh caved in and just hold the fort a little bit until those guys get a breather so they can get back on the ice yeah you know that's exactly how they played and it really I mean it worked well enough to get to the second round of the playoffs against pretty tough teams Mm -hmm. but it's not you just need more depth if you're going to win, if you're going for the cup, you know? I think I would probably, after seeing how dominant that line is, but how the others weren't bad but couldn't necessarily break through on the other teams, I would move Pasternak down because, I mean, Anders Bjork is coming back from an injury. He played, he kind of surprised everybody last season when he, um, right out the gates, got the role in the first line next to um, uh, next to. Bergeron and Marchand, but I think he could come back and do it again. He had some really tough roadblocks, like right when he was, he went through his freshman slump or whatever, and then he immediately like broke a bone and he was out for the season. And I think how he comes back from that will show just if he's resilient as a player or not, obviously. And if he comes back fine, I think he could play on the first line fine. And then there's also Donato and a few options. Heinen, there's a few options you could put at the first line. And I mean, the Bergeron effect, you're going to be fine if you're playing next to Bergeron, but then you wonder if it's optimal. And I, the, the good thing is there's 82 games in the regular season. So, and nothing has to be set in stone. So I would say try it out. If it doesn't work, just you can put Kostnok back. That's true. Yeah, no, they've got a lot of options, that's for sure. Um, it's 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 interesting. What do you make of their summer? I thought, you know, generally speaking, it was a, it was a pretty quiet one on their part. It feels like, um, you know, they added John Moore, I guess, was their big upgrade, and they kind of replaced Anton Hudobin as the backup with, with Yaro Halak, and I think that's ultimately a bit of a wash. But it seems like, for the most part, um, they're kind of betting on their internal options, especially some of those young guys up front that you listed, to yeah. step up and improve. And... It, but it's not necessarily the wrong strategy. It just during this time where they are going up against the Tampa Bay's and Toronto's of the world, and you see, I mean, Tampa Bay didn't add much this summer, but they kind of handled all their all their in house business, and they obviously added McDonough last year's trade deadline, and Toronto obviously adds a John Tavares. It seems like there's a bit of an arm race happening there, and and for yeah. Boston to kind of just sit tight, um, and you know maybe they're biding their time, and maybe there's going to be an in season trade, maybe they'll you know go after a Rick Nash type again towards the trade deadline, and that's certainly possible, but for game one to start the season um they're kind of bringing the same team back together that fell short last year and i'm not sure how i feel about that strategy ultimately 
Yeah. I mean, before I say anything, they traded Adam McQuaid yesterday. And I think that has to be clearing. It's not has to be, but I think it might be clearing up cap space for another trade to make their big trade. But I'm not because now they have five million in cap space if they assuming that they move um, who they got down to the AHL. But we shall see. But that said, if they did nothing else in a vacuum, it doesn't seem like a big deal. And it's just like, OK, yeah, these players are supposed to be developing. Um, it's not it, there's no reason to think the team would decline that much. It would just be like a slight improvement, I think, over last year. But knowing that teams in the division pulled out the big guns kind of it's just um a little it's a lot of confidence in the youth and i mean i think bruce cassidy's the guy to do that he coached some of them in the ahl and stuff and i think he really gets um development in players and i don't think he would or he and the rest of the management i don't think they would put such a vote of confidence in the youth if it wasn't actually going to work out so I know it's it's tough being up in the air like this, but I I think it'll be okay. I think well, it'll be okay. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think if you're betting on any young players, and obviously there's like a certain level of uh, unpredictability with how young guys are going to develop, but just what we saw last year, especially towards the end of the season from a Jake DeBrusque and obviously Ryan Donato, the sort of special year he had bouncing around from one level to another and, and producing every step of the way, like those are the types of guys that, if you do have to be investing in young in youth, those are the types of guys you do want to be making calculated risks on. And it seems like both guys, um, I'm fairly confident on projecting forward that they're going to be able to produce quite a bit, obviously, especially if they get bumped up the lot towards the lineup and get to potentially crack that top line and play alongside Bergeron. That would help. But even if they're on a more secondary scoring line alongside of David Krejci, I think that they're going to be perfectly serviceable secondary scoring options. And right now for this team, that's really all they need. Yeah, yeah, it is all they need. Um, I, okay, so here's a big question for me for the Bruins. Um, the secondary scoring is obviously one thing. I think the second thing, though, is, and we've seen this, I don't know if this is necessarily kind of uh, an unfair thing to characterize as just a Bruins thing, because it feels like it's probably a, a full league-wide uh, sort of deal, but it feels like, for whatever reason, they've kind of worn down towards the end of each of the past two years with injuries and being banged up. And, you know, the top guys were still playing, but it seems like they were really playing at way less than 100%. And I, I think that preparing, because they obviously have higher aspirations than just making the playoffs and winning one round and getting smoked in the second round, it seems like the regular season's going to be a bit of a exercise for them to obviously not only win a bunch of games and, and qualify for the playoffs, but, but prepare themselves better to succeed when they get into those later stages. And that's where that secondary, um, those secondary contributions, but also especially on the blue line, and we haven't talked much there, um, is going to really be a kind of pivotal factor for them to try and find guys who are more than just warm bodies that can log some heavy minutes and ease up on the Charas and the Bergerons of the world. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the more that I cover hockey, the more I realize how much it actually is about depth. Um, you obviously need your stars to win, but anything could happen to them, and people need to be waiting in the wings who can do it, do a job, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, I, I do want to talk a bit about Zdeno Chara here, and uh, we'll talk about his Instagram feed, but also some other stuff. Um, but Please. <laughs> let's uh let's take a quick break oh, here to hear from a sponsor and we'll uh, we'll pick it up on the other things 
Let's take a minute to chat about today's sponsor for the Hockeypedia cast, SeatGeek. SeatGeek knows full well that getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek's the way to go, because they pull millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek's going to help get you closer to the action for a great value. Uh, the best part about SeatGeek really is how much of a time saver it is. Uh, just the other day, I pulled it up on my phone. I looked into tickets for um, the preseason game with the Raptors coming to town to play the Portland Trailblazers at the end of the month, and within a matter of clicks and just like two minutes i was checking out and i was good to go and i found the seats that i wanted uh for where i wanted and i feel extremely confident knowing that when i show up to the game on that night um everything is going to be exactly as it was listed and there's going to be no uh, unforeseen surprises um and the best part for you though is that as my listener you're going to get 20 dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase all you have to do to claim that is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code pdo today that's promo code pdo for 20 dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase now let's get back to sarah sivian and the hockey pdo cast okay um chara so I'm very fascinated about his shelf life. He's turning 42 this season. He, uh, this is year 21 for him, I believe. Um, obviously, if anyone is going to stretch uh, the limits of what you know the human body can handle and what we can reasonably expect from a guy, it's going to be him. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I, I do think we need to start kind of looking ahead and wondering um, how much he has left and how the Bruins can optimize these later stages of his career by extending it and i know this is a very non-hockey guy thing to say but i wonder if um you know adopting what we've seen kind of nba teams and the san antonio spurs in particular do in recent years with their older players where you know they're they're strategically resting them through the season and they're not necessarily playing them in all the back-to-backs and they're picking and choosing where they're adding those miles to their body. I feel like that would be something that, you know, we haven't really seen much in hockey. And I understand part of the, you know, the, the bravado and sort of the, the toughness that goes along with the players and them not wanting to do so. And you want to reward the fans that paid good money to come to the games to, the, to watch those guys. You want to give them an opportunity to do so. But, you know, we just talked about the Bruins and how they have higher aspirations and a bigger picture to consider. And I wonder if, putting Zidane Ocharha on that type of a of blueprint or that type of a workout plan might be uh, better for both him and the team moving forward. Well, we've already kind of seen him wane down a little bit. This was the first season in forever. He didn't have most minutes. It was McAvoy. And I know this is kind of horrible, but to me, McAvoy is like Chichara when your like, childhood dog is kind of fading away and then you buy a little puppy to make it last a few years longer. Um, That's how I would describe that relationship. And it works out perfectly because Chara basically, he never makes sometimes, but basically never makes a mistake. So he can tell Charlie go up there and and cheat the line and do whatever. It's fine. I got you if you tend to mess up or something. And that makes him like Charlie flourish as a rookie. And that makes Chara not have to skate up and down, up and down forever. And I think that has already shown and they put Charlie in the uh, power play and it's the first season in his career. I think Chara didn't have a goal in the power play because they just had him on the penalty kill and he could just, they're kind of specializing him in that way. And I think that's 
obviously a great thing and a little more of it. Everybody generally in Boston would understand that, I think, and they'd be sympathetic to that. They just want Char to last as long as he possibly can. Um, actually, Bruce Cassidy came on our station oh, two weeks ago and said he thinks Char is going to last four or five more years and nobody, clearly nobody trains harder than him. Mm-hmm. But it's just about that. It's also about how he's keeping current with all his skills. I don't know, Bruce Cassidy was saying he, behind the scenes, not what you see when he's like climbing ropes and Instagramming, are you sleeping while I'm doing this? I I love that little chirp. Um, He said he also works really hard in his skills and everything that needs to be done to stay current in this league. And everybody, I mean, Ray Borg came on our station a few weeks ago too and said pretty much the same thing. I mean, I would listen to these people over me speculating how long he can last. I think he has a few more years in him. Yeah, no, I believe. It. I mean, it's it's crazy. He's coming up on uh, 1,600 cumulative games between the regular season and the playoffs. And I was looking, and, and it, you know, like I guess last year he played 73 games, and, and that's trending in the right direction. But 2014-15, when he played only 63, is really the only time he wasn't sort of in that mid-70s range. So... It'll be uh, it'll be fascinating to see, and and it's 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 not even about the games necessarily as much as it is is about the sort of types of minutes he's playing. But you're right. I mean the the total volume dropped a bit last year, and I wonder, you know, generally you'd say for a player that those penalty kill minutes are pretty kind of grueling because there's a lot of movement there, and you really have to be zoned in, and and you're doing a lot of the heavy lifting. But for him, with his reach, it just feels like he's out there on that penalty kill and, and, you know, not to knock his effort or anything, but he can, he can just kind of cover two guys by just standing there and, and, and using his wingspan, which is just remarkable to watch. Exactly. I mean, there was one, they're playing the penguins. It was such a crazy game. It was, I think they got 10 points. I, I don't remember exactly correctly, but I remember Chara was out there for two full minutes. Didn't, it didn't even look like it was out there and popping at all. And then he fought um, Scott, Scott, what's his name? He's, I don't know. He's on the Penguins. Scott Wilson. No. Um, no. Northeastern grad. Scott, it begins with an O. Alexiak. Okay. No, Stephen Alexiak. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, he just fought him after two minutes on the penalty kill. And when I saw that, I was like, all right, Char is going to be okay for a few more years. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, his, I alluded to his Instagram, but I had Alex Pruitt on. Um, earlier last season and he had gotten he had had the good fortune of hanging out with Dan Ochara a bit for a, a profile he was doing on him for Sports Illustrated and his stories about his Instagram were hilarious I recommend uh, everyone goes back and listens to that podcast he was talking about how like you know he's doing it himself but he also has this like team where they like strategize his <laughs> how he's gonna operate his Instagram and what he's gonna post and it, it's hilarious I mean it, it makes sense for a for a guy like him, how meticulous he'd be, even with such a simple thing that most people don't really think about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really wholesome. He's feeding pigeons and he's playing with his children and he's so inspiring about nature and stuff. It's it's cool to see a side of somebody like that that you might not have seen before. I mean, people are pretty boring on Instagram, but he is actually insightful. He is. He is. Um, okay, let's talk a bit about... Uh, about Tuka Rask. we haven't. We're like twenty one minutes into the show, and we haven't even mentioned him yet. Which I feel like uh, the blessing. Bruins fans are like, talk about Tuka Rask. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like this is probably true for uh, for most fan bases, but you know, I follow a fair number of, of Bruins fans on Twitter, and I'm sort of feel like I'm generally in tune with the dialogue going on around the team. And I don't know. It feels like more so than with most fan bases. Um, 
people get really, really high and then really, really low with him, you know, pretty much from one performance to the next. Is, do you think that's a fair way to characterize the, the the relationship of Bruins fans with the goalie? Yeah, it's like a visceral reaction when you hear Tukarask's name. People are either, I think it started with people unfairly criticizing him and then people responding to that with like unfair praise. And now I think there are some people that are kind of in the middle and it's like, yeah, he's top 10 in the league probably, but he's not the best goalie in the entire world or the worst. But that's how, if you just searched his name on Twitter, that's probably exactly what you'd find. Um, I think I like the Halak signing. I think that's going to push Tuka and also give him the confidence. I mean, I like, um, yeah, it's going to, it's, he's not going to steal his job. I don't think. And I, I think that's ridiculous that there are articles about that, but I think it'll give him a good push. Um, Hey, so we were talking about Jamie Alexiak, right? Oh, Jamie! Why did yeah. I say shot? Yeah, it was it was driving me crazy. I was thinking of Stephen Stephen Alexi, who I think also played for the Penguins. But yeah, it was it's it's Jamie Alexiak. I know there's there was someone yelling at their uh, yelling at their phone or whatever device they use to listen to this podcast for us to say Jamie Alexiak. So I wanted to uh, <laughs> to fix that before we get yelled at. Although I'm sure it's already happened. Um, yeah, with Yarl Wait. with Yarl Halak, it's 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 tough to. I feel like we gotta have to we have to throw out his numbers from especially last year just because that Islanders oh, team was such a mess in front of him. Yeah, it was it was it was it was such a mess in front of him that I was like, I I don't even think it's impossible to judge how much he has left in the tank or how good he's gonna be uh, exactly. because of that mess in front of him and, and obviously they the Bruins are hopefully um health permitting gonna only ask for him to play twenty five ish or thirty games tops. So exactly. That's what they said. That's exactly their plan. They just want to give Tuka some rest, and that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think that uh, that switch. I do like Anna Hudobin. I feel like he's kind of like a prototypical backup goalie in today's league. But I yeah, think that was kind of shocking. It was shocking that the Bruins didn't sign him, but um, they were pretty firm, and they didn't want to pay more than they thought that they should. So he was gone. He really. Se- I know players always say, "I love Boston, whatever." But he just flat out was like, "I'm sick of the um, free agency market. I love Boston. It's my favorite city in the world. Even if I don't sign here, I love this city forever." And it was just kind of like, "Jesus, I can't believe they didn't resign him." But I guess that's just the way it is. Yeah, I mean, I guess knowing what the price they're willing to pay for him, and then drawing a hard line there is a good way to describe it. Because I, I, I believe at the time, you know, there were reports so over the you know the, the gap between the two sides and how much Hudobin was asking for versus how much the Bruins were willing to pay and sort of what what the holdup was in in potentially reaching an extension and in the grand scheme of things it was a pretty comically low amount but I guess you know if you're going to be a cap team like the Bruins and you're going to have to count you're going to have to use your money wisely to really fit everyone in and, and try to add pieces especially as the season goes along um, every every dollar counts and if you're able to get a guy like Halak, who should, for the most part, be... I, I, I called it a wash, and I really think it's going to be sort of... There's not going to be much difference between the two in the terms of performance, then it's not that big of a deal. That's pretty much how I describe the Bruins offseason as a whole. It's just a, like, it's a wash. Mm. Um, and that could be okay. It just all depends on the youth, and there's a huge vote of confidence in the youth right now. Yeah, and, well, and, and we should say there's also a huge vote of confidence in... Yeah in-house options that are hopefully going to get healthy, right? Like towards the end of that Tampa Bay series, they basically didn't have their second defense pairing in Carlo and Krug. And 
both guys got banged up at different times, but if go if both of them come back healthy and are able to stay in the lineup, that's basically um, you know you're you're adding some pretty useful pieces there to to the grand scheme of things. So there's a lot of that, and obviously you know I, I mentioned earlier about how they kind of wore down, but you know you heard that Marchand was at a very depleted version of himself, and and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. So I guess they're just hoping that. Um, they're able to have a smoother regular season in terms of the miles they put on those guys. And hopefully once they do reach a second round series against one of those Atlantic division rivals, that they are going to be in better fighting shape than they were last year. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Marchand's going to have a career year. I am just going to say that there. I just think he is. I, he seems like in terms of suspensions or <laughs> in terms of not being suspended. I don't know how many times I wrote a lead last season Marchand's current suspension, but I think the team seemed really like Bergeron and Chara gave him a stern talking to about that type of stuff, and they understand that he's going to play on that edge and stuff, but they seemed very serious, like this isn't just antics anymore, you have to stop, and it seemed like he was actually willing to do that. Yeah, well, we haven't really talked about him yet, and I guess... There's nothing necessarily profound we can say about it. It feels like uh, it's already been analyzed and dissected, and we're not going to add anything new to the conversation. But it, yeah. I do want to point out, like it, I think that's part of the disappointing thing. And I don't, I really don't want to get holier than thou and and look down upon him and his shenanigans because that it's silly when people do that. But it's like he's he's transcended the point of being sort of that frisky. Uh, player that stirs it up and occasionally contributes offensively to being genuinely one of the league's handful of best most talented players and what he's able to do out on the ice when he's you know when he's firing on all cylinders and when he's just kind of low, a low wrecking ball out there with the pockets it's remarkable to watch i guess that's kind of like as a casual observer that's the disappointing part of it where you just want to see that all the time because it's such a beautiful thing to watch and when we have to spend all this other time and energy discussing stupid stuff like who he's licking or who he's throwing an elbow at that's that's the frustration and i understand that maybe for him you know different personality types maybe you need to play on that on that edge to kind of get yourself going and really uh be your best best most effective self but at the same time um you know when you're scoring 35 ish goals and genuinely being a dominant two-way force um we sh- it feels like we should be talking about more than just some of that stupid uh, uh, kind of peripheral stuff yeah it's like he genuinely doesn't know that he's a lead and he looks like he's playing like he could be sent down to providence every week when he needs to obviously understand how good he is and how that's not going to happen just keep scoring but he just it seems to him like he he has to play that way yeah yeah, it's <laughs> he doesn't really know how how good he is yet. So it's it's um yeah, hopefully we uh we spend the year talking about how awesome he is and and not um the kind of dumb thing he's done most recently. Um is there anything is there anything else uh we need to cover with this team? We've talked about the top guys, talked about secondary scoring, we talked about the defense. I don't, like is is there anything else to add? Um No. How do you feel? Okay, so let's actually kind of take take a step back and take a bigger picture view of the uh, the three teams there atop the Atlantic Division, and then 
it, it really seems like, um, you know, the NHL is pretty unpredictable in the, in the grand scheme of things, especially compared to other leagues and anything can happen over the 82 game season. And I know there's a bunch of buzz for the Florida Panthers as being a, a frisky fourth team in that, in that division. But for the most part, um, if there is a sure thing in the NHL, it's that in some order, Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Boston are going to finish one, two, three in the Atlantic Division. Do you think? Do you think we should be just kind of writing that in with a sharpie right now, or do you think we should be giving a team like Florida a bit more credit? Because it feels like I feel very confident saying Detroit, Montreal, and Ottawa are write-offs for the season, and we do not need to worry about them messing up that top three. I don't know, man. I don't know how you could see that Ottawa Senators video and not think that they're going to be number one. Okay, let's let's talk about that for a second. I wasn't going to get into it, but uh, I feel like this is a good opportunity. You really segued us into it. What what the hell was that video? I honestly, I watched it three times and the Twilight Zone theme started playing in my head. I just don't understand who thought that was a good idea, who decided to run with it. it had to go through a few people for sure and it was just all across the board the, the silliest thing i've seen on twitter in a month I, yeah I, I how i think it went um when without any inside knowledge is eugene melnick thought this was a good idea and then i'm sure a couple of people because there's certainly some smart people in, in, in that marketing department and in, in working with the team from a PR perspective they were probably like, uh, Eugene, I think this might not be the best idea. And he's just so crazy with mad with power that he just pushed it through <laughs> anyways. But yeah, it was, it was shocking. I mean, just like getting a guy like Mark Borowiecki to <laughs> sort of double as the face of the franchise, I guess in that video. And, and then some of the questions, it was like, so, weirdly forced and scripted and like the fireside chat yeah but the dialogue was like it was just so unnatural and then he's asking melnick questions and melnick's like oh i'm glad you asked and like it was like acting like it was spontaneous and some of the stuff was just like the outlandish claims about how they're gonna have 10 new players this year but then 15 new players the year after and how they're loaded with draft picks in the next four to six years all of it was like I mean, we can fact check this stuff. We have the internet and it seems like that's not based in reality. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so based on that um, video, we're not high on the Ottawa senators this year. No, 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 mm. no. Based on that and several other factors, but yeah, I think I hate making predictions that are set in stone, but I do feel totally confident that the um, Tampa Bay, Toronto and Boston are top three, but I, I would put Buffalo before um, the Panthers. I think Buffalo, mm. I mean, so many prospects, and I know they need a few years, but I think Eichel and the prospects, and I, I think it's coming together for them this year. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't even mention them amongst the list of the teams. Yeah, they certainly... Um, it's hard to, because you say that every year, but I think for sure this year. It's true, yeah, because I, 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 I did like the summer they had last year, and I was like, I don't think they're necessarily going to be great or maybe make the playoffs but they're going to be respectable and then they had like one of their worst seasons and i guess it got them rosmus dali and so it worked out but yeah i mean with with dali and and uh casey middlestad and you know hoping that getting guys like skinner um and connor sherry to play alongside a jack eichel is gonna elevate his game even another level like there's a lot to like there so i like that yeah. call um but if, okay so if, if if you are uh projecting this stuff where do you have boston with 
the Tampa Bays and the Torontos of the world then, um, if you had to rank those three? Well, I think Toronto's defense is a serious issue, honestly. I think Tampa Bay's first. Boston and Toronto are just neck and neck. Maybe maybe even tie. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think Boston's number two. Yeah, it's... I think that, uh, you know, Toronto's obviously... Um, it's going to be tough for people to remain rational when discussing them. And there's obviously a lot of excitement around the team and it feels like they are going to get a bit overhyped and overvalued. I, I understand your, your, your defensive concerns. I think that if we do see them, they're going to be in the playoffs. Like I think in the regular season, they're going to be such an overwhelming offensive force that I feel like there's going to be so many nights where they just kind of steamroll teams and put a five or six spot on them on, on the goal chart. And, the other team's just not going to know what hit them. So I feel like they're going to bank a lot of wins that way. And it ultimately yeah. won't matter what's going on on the blue line. Um, but yeah, I'm I mean, the, all three I'm of those teams. The win games 10 to 9 strategy. I, I love that. That's so much fun. I think they're going to be so fun to watch. But I think Bruins core might just be a little more. I don't know. I, we'll have to, I guess this will actually show us the value of defense like in this current league and how people should be playing defense you know mm-hmm. yeah and the rates like sort of the optimal uh you know game strategy and and, and systems and how to uh what works in today's league yeah and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to watch it i think there's gonna yeah. be a, a lot of good fun there that's gonna be a lot of fun this season in general having such a tight race for um atlantic division just watching what small tweaks might send a different team over the edge you know yeah and I was a big, uh, you know, I, I love to knock the league for some of the silly decisions they make, and I really don't like the uh, the playoff structure that they have in terms of uh, not rewarding teams for the regular season. And at the same time, um, if you just do your job and, and win games and win that Atlantic division, at least you won't have to play the other really, really good team there in the first round. And, and you know, for Boston... Um, both them and Toronto kind of had a, a tough draw last year in, in that first round where they had that seven game slugfest. But if ultimately, if Boston wins that final game of the regular season against Florida, they get the New Jersey Devils in round one and they're probably healthier and better suited to play in round two against whoever comes out of that other matchup. So it's, uh, it's tough to feel too bad for them because they did ultimately control their own destiny. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's, uh, I think that's it. Let's get out of here. Plug some stuff. What uh, what are you working on these days? I know you're you're following the uh, the preseason action pretty closely, but you're not going to China with the team. <laughs> no, and I actually thought my first thought. I walked into the rink yesterday and found out McQuaid's getting traded. My first my first thought was, oh god, if I'm him, I'm so happy. I don't have to take a thirty hour round trip flight to attend precisely two preseason games. I mean, I. I get. I think it's really cool what they're doing, but do I think they need to play two preseason games in China? No, I I think that's just kind of ridiculous. But yeah, I'm not going. Needless to say, also I I would go if I could afford it, but I can't. So. Mm. I mean, okay, we'll, we'll counterpoint. I, I believe the the Canucks and the Flames went last year, um, and I mean, obviously there's the whole growing the game. Uh, thing in different parts of the world, which is, uh, I don't mean to dismiss it and kind of <laughs> just to hand wave yeah. it, but that's obviously a very yeah. useful thing. But I do think, you know, for the players, I imagine it's, it's probably a pretty cool experience. I mean, the, the preseason, especially if you're an established veteran player, is is 
such a slog where you're just like, uh, I don't really want to be doing this right now. I mean, most of these guys, like, I feel like it's not like back in the 90s or even before then when guys would spend the summer just smoking and drinking and not training. <laughs> and then they'd come to preseason and they'd actually need to start working out and getting in shape. I feel like for the most part, these guys have all been actively getting better throughout the off season. So for them, the preseason is kind of just a bit of a slog. So maybe a little uh, trip like that might not actually be the worst thing in the world. And then you get into the whole bonding and chemistry and team component side of things that I'm sure help as well. So I don't know, maybe it might be a good thing. The team's not going. Yeah, no, I totally see that side, but also it's just kind of for me, this is why I'm not an NHL player because I would think I'm too lazy to even think about going to China. Mm. Would you say that's the biggest reason why you're not an NHL player? Yeah, yeah. I mean, give me your disdain for trip to China. Out of state. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, so plug some stuff. What uh, What are you working on these days? Um, thinking a lot about prospects. I love prospect mm-hmm. work, so I'm glad that they're all here. I'm gonna probably do a top ten ranking. Uh, that's how I'm gonna spend camp. I am working on. Um, just getting ready for the season, um, trying to find new fun ways to cover the team. If anybody has any suggestions, let me know. Um, well, where, where can people let you know? Oh, Sarah Sivian on Twitter. Pretty mm, simple. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm a broadcasting professional for a reason, Sarah. <laughs> what are you working on? I'm working on a lot of stuff. I mean, it's it's. I don't know. How do you feel about... I mean, obviously, you're you're located in Boston, so it helps a lot, like geographically. But how do you feel about the idea of covering one team just that intensely versus covering the full league? Because I I know you know when I started off in the industry, I was covering the Canucks full time, and I do feel like obviously if the team is really good and exciting, and they have a bunch of different personalities and characters and great players, there's a lot of stuff you can write about. But otherwise, like it feels like when you get to like game fifty. And you've sort of talked about everything there is to say already four times. You're just like, uh, I don't know how to do my job in a fun, creative way. And it gets really stale. Whereas when you're covering the full league, there's always various things to talk about. So for me, I mean, it's, I guess, trying to get a grasp of everything that's happening and trying to follow all 31 teams is is a bit more you know challenging and straining in terms of where your attention's directed. But it, it does feel like it's... I, I personally, I feel like it's more for me than just really dialing into one team like you are with the Bruins. I mean, I go back and forth, but I'm a pretty obsessive person. So when I know something, I I really know it and I want to know all about that one thing. So I really, I think being on a beat is perfect for me. And I love to, know, I love to be the go-to person. Like if somebody has a question, I can answer it like that. And other than just having general knowledge so i think this works out for me and it does get a little tedious but that's when you gotta get creative and it's fun to try to think of spicy spicy content and (laughs) fun ways to like make people care i love that because i used to cover penn state hockey and nobody cared and then it was just a lot of fun to be feel like you're part of something and also try to convince people why they should care well, for all your spicy comment content and uh, Bruins coverage, please uh, go follow Sarah Sivian on Twitter. And Sarah, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad we finally got to do this. And hopefully, yeah. um, if the Atlantic Division race up top uh, plays out the way we're expecting it to, there's going to be plenty more uh, stuff for us to talk about the Bruins as, as the season goes along. And I'm sure we're going to have you back on. Yeah, I'd be happy to join you again. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Have a good one. 
Alexia. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Thank you.